Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here and this week on the podcast I'm joined by Gregory V. Deal where we'll be talking about the importance of creating a unique brand story and the steps to create one too. But before we dive into that, I want to give a shout out to Logo Package Express which is an extension for Adobe Illustrator that will allow you to create a comprehensive kit of logo files in minutes. Before using this tool, whenever I finished a logo project, creating all the logo variants would take me around an hour to do manually. But with Logo Package Express, it now takes minutes and removes room for error too. If you're a logo designer, this is a real absolute must-have tool, which will save you hours. So to go and check that out, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension and if you was to use the promo code LOGOGEEK, you'll also get 20% off. For transparency, that is an affiliate link. So if you do choose to purchase the product via that link, you'll be helping to support the Logo Geek podcast at no extra cost to you. So again, to check that out and to support this podcast in the process, head to logogeek.uk forward slash extension making sure to use the promo code LOGOGEEK to get 20% off. So I think I mentioned on this podcast a few times now that I really enjoy reading books on logo design and branding. One that I recently purchased and read is Brand Identity Breakthrough, which has the subtitle of How to Craft Your Company's Unique Story to Make Your Products Irresistible. You tend to find that most business owners will focus on the operations of their business, which is totally understandable. So things like the product, the people, the systems, processes, and so on. So investing time to create something like a story isn't going to be their top priority. But after reading this book and through other conversations I've had with people that's into branding, I really see the immense value in a strong brand story to help a business sell products, to build a more fulfilling business, and to also attract and retain really good staff too. This book was a really enjoyable read and one I'd highly recommend uh, to business owners or anyone working with clients to create a brand strategy. So I decided to reach out to the author, Gregory V. Deal, who agreed to come on the podcast to discuss the topics explained in that book. In this interview, we dive into the importance of story when building a business and we break down how to create a story and how you tell it too. So let's dive into this. Here is the interview with Gregory V. Dale. Business owners, they very often focus on things like products and sales, you know, uh, things that can seem tangible and actionable and and measurable. But you have your book, Brand Identity Breakthrough, which I want to recommend to listeners. Uh, Within that book, you talk about how a unique story can make 
products irresistible. And I know if uh, you was working within a company, a uh, business owner might not see story as an important thing. You know, it's the type of thing that they could potentially just brush off as uh, not anything of any significance. So could you share why storytelling should really matter to business owners? Yeah, well, of course, it's only natural that business owners would want to focus on the aspects of their business that they're most intimately familiar with, which, you know, often means the numbers behind the business, uh, the operations of the business. Uh, but that kind of stuff is really very internally focused and storytelling in one form or another is the doorway between the world outside your business and the business itself. Stories are how people who don't know about your business come to know about it, and the, it is the way that a relationship is developed between the customer and the business in one form or another. And if you don't pay very much attention to the story you are putting out in countless different ways through every way that your business is represented in the world, you're not really in control or even aware of how people relate to your business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's so articulately put and I'm hoping that that immediately convinces uh, someone that story is important. But expanding on from that, are there any other benefits to um, having a, a, a strong story that shares uh, information about your business? Well, having the, a good story is, in my opinion, the best way to also have uniqueness in whatever industry you're in. People talk about this concept called a, a unique selling proposition. Yeah. It's thrown a lot around a lot in marketing circles and, and business management. And uh, I don't think that even people who like to talk about it often give it the weight that it deserves. Uniqueness goes well beyond just having some specific feature of the widget you sell that's different than the competition or uh, having a lower price or you know a slightly different functionality. It's all in the way that people perceive the place your business occupies in the world and the place that it occupies in their life. And a lot of that is emotional. A lot of it is intangible. A lot of it is difficult to put into words or images, but all of that in some way contributes to the uniqueness of your brand and therefore how people will choose to buy it and use it. Yeah, absolutely. I know when you compare companies like Apple versus uh, Samsung, I mean, it's it's changed over the years, but originally Apple's always been around the story and the emotional connection to the product and what the consumer can do with that. Whilst other tech companies, I'm going to use Samsung as an, as an example, but there's a lot of other companies that are doing this. They really push features and benefits and all the technical specifications of the product. And you can really see the difference between the two and um, I, I think that's very much the reason why Apple over the last 20 years or however long it's been since the iPhone came out, it's why I feel they are one of the most profitable companies in the world and, and the reason why people are prepared to pay a premium. I mean, it's not just the, the story, but that's one huge element of that. Yeah, and that's not to say that like like PC is Windows is is not hurting necessarily because they're different than Apple. They appeal to very mm -hmm. different types of customers. So the story that Apple is telling is quite different than the story that 
Windows is telling, but you know, it's most people who have ever used a computer before are pretty well aware of whether they're a Windows guy or an Apple guy or a Linux guy because all of those appeal to very different kinds of peop- people, partially just because of the functionality of them and the features of them, but also partially because of the story represented by each one and how that appeals to what kind of person they are. And that's great because if there were a lot of overlap between them, then there'd be a lot of confusion in the marketplace and a lot of unnecessary competition and lost sales and wasted resources. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So I think since we've highlighted the importance of a story, I'd like to spend the bulk of this conversation or or most of the conversation, depending on how long it, it takes to go through, talking about how to actually create this story. And I know that's something that your book goes into, and I'd like to uh, direct people towards that to learn more about this. But I'd like to go through some of those principles in this interview, if you are happy to. So I think straight out question, how would you go about creating a story for a business? Well, I don't really view it as too different than the way we go about telling the stories of ourselves as individuals. We all have a story that changes over the course of our lives. And a lot of it is quite arbitrary, and all of it, of course, is selected and curated. Like When people ask you about yourself, you, you don't tell them every detail of every memory throughout your life. You, you pick out certain details that are conventional for people to talk about, that give people a sense of, of your place in the world and what qualities you consider most important to your identity, and that's that becomes the story of you my name is gregory i was born in california i work in this industry and I, these are my hobbies and so on and so forth right that becomes your story and that, and we all get so used to relating to each other in this way that we forget that we're all kind of just a bunch of walking stories interacting with each other uh and behind that there are real people having conscious experiences of course but but the way we relate to each other is is through these stories we tell about each other and so why should that really be terribly different for a business brand a business is kind of just an extension of the people who make it up right oh yeah absolutely so i mean one big thing that comes to mind with that is what happens in the situation where the company has a story that's just not very interesting or or there is no real story to tell beyond i don't know started it to make money or something like that what how do you handle those situations when you're working with uh, somebody that that just lacks any element of of story within their organization. Well, I um, well, I certainly don't endorse uh, outright lying and and deception, you know, and just being untruthful about what the business represents and its values and all that. I don't endorse that kind of manipulation that seems to be so common in marketing. Uh, there's always some story. If you look hard enough, there's something to talk about. And it's not necessarily, well, how was the company started? Oh, well, I needed a way to make money and this seemed like the easiest way to do it. So I got started, right? Yeah, that's not an interesting story. Uh, but there are stories of the people behind the business. There are stories of of the place you see your product occupying in the world and the values it's supposed to represent because everything beyond the 
the actual practical thing that it does has values associated with it, like a, a certain kind of car, uh, you know, the, the actual physical feature of it might be that it has four wheel drive and, and, and uh, high ground clearance and lots of seats to fit your family and your cargo in, right? That's, that's the technical description. But what are the values associated with that? Maybe you like to go off-roading with your kids and, and your kayak or something, right? Like, so there's a whole bunch of values that come to mind when you think of a car that has these features beyond just the description. So that would be an example of a story. Here's, here's what our brand represents and why, why this, the fact that this product exists matters. And so, and, and also maybe, you know, you're in, you're in an industry where you don't need that much of a story. Like maybe it's possible you're in an industry where your customer's really do just care more about technical specifications than values and emotions and personality. Uh, computers might be a good example of that. Going back to earlier, I think the average Linux user probably cares much more about technical specifications and so forth than the average Mac user. And that's reflected in how they use their computers. So that that would be a good example where you don't necessarily need to emulate these really big famous brands and their stories just because you see that's what other companies are doing. What's appropriate for them is not necessarily appropriate for you, even if you're in the same industry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I know then, and within your book as well, one of the key um, elements to developing this story is, uh, like you said then, is the, the, the value. So rather than talking about the specific features, it's a case of communicating what the value of those features are. And uh, within your book, there's a, a whole chapter talking about how people don't see the value of their own company. Could you share a little bit more about that as well? How you've noticed that uh, business owners don't necessarily um, see the value of their product or, or service right away? Well, of course, you're biased if it's your business, and that's true of anything you might ever create. Um, if you're writing a book, you're going to be biased about the way the book is organized and the kind of information that be, should be contained in it. If you're writing a song or painting a picture, same thing, because you're putting your, so much of yourself into it. You see what's going on behind the scenes, but your audience doesn't see that. They just see the final product. They just see what's presented to them, and they see how they happen to use it in their life. So you might be thinking that your product and your your business are worthwhile for a, a certain series of reasons that are related to how you have tried to build your business but maybe at the end of the day your audience has a completely different opinion that is you know not what you expected based on how you thought you were building your business and how would you ever know that if you didn't communicate with them uh, beta testing of some kind is necessary in any kind of creative endeavor, uh, just to see if the perception of your core audience, your target audience, is aligned with your perception of the person behind the scenes trying to steer the ship. And I want to stress that it really is the perception only of the target audience that matters because everyone everywhere has an opinion about something, but if they're not people who are going to be your customers anyway, then why does it matter what they think about it? In the same way that if you were writing a science fiction book, you wouldn't ask for the opinions of people who read romance novels. Do you think this is a good book? Because they're going to be judging it by a completely different set of criteria than the people you actually want to be picking it up off the shelf, right? And so if you don't even know who your target audience is, the idea of people who should be buying your product, then you can't possibly know what their opinions are and how relevant they are. 
Mm-hmm. So it sounds like here, uh, one thing that companies need to do is they need to clearly understand who they're aiming to target. And based on that, that's when they can then do some kind of user testing or some kind of feedback. So they can actually hear directly from the people that would be using the product, how it makes their life different in some way. Sure. And it's not even just the product by itself in isolation, but it's in the context of every other buying choice your customer has, right? Because it's one thing if you put a product in someone's hand and see how they interact with it, but it's another if you're asking them to go and blind to a shopping mall and find your product appealing versus all the other ways they could be spending their money, uh, competing products or not, right? How are they going to come to the conclusion? Well, clearly, this is the one I've been waiting for all my life. I've been using these kinds of widgets for years and always, always I've had this problem that they just don't meet. And finally, here's this one saying, we specifically designed our widget to do this thing better. I will pay double the amount for that widget than I would for any other one. How, how do you know that you're, if you're creating that kind of response to people if you don't know how they're comparing it to the other choices that they have, not just in isolation? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I'm seeing uh, so many more layers to this. So it's it's not as simple as just sitting down and working out how you originally started. It sounds like you need to understand who your competitors are so that you can define some kind of USP. So I want to go into all of these things individually because I think they all impact this overall story and the way that you eventually communicate it. So um, I think probably... As a starting point, target audience sounds like something worth going into. And from my perspective, I've been a graphic designer now for uh, probably around 15 years now. I don't know where that time's gone, but it's been a while. And um, throughout that time, I've worked for agencies. I've worked on my own projects. And the bulk of people I work with, so the bulk of my clients that I worked with, they don't always know who their target audience is or they wish to target everybody. How do you go about helping these companies define who they're aiming to target and and how do you know that they are the right person that they should be targeting? Well, I would start by asking a simple question like, who is the person who is qualified to get the full intended value of your product or service, right? There are probably lots of different kinds of people who could buy your product or service for one reason or another and get some value out of it, maybe even enough value to justify the price of your product. But who is the person who most closely optimally matches everything you intended your product to be and will find the maximum amount of possible value out of it? Can you picture what that person is like and why they're in such a position to get so much value out of it? That makes it sound so much easier. I mean, if if there was a handful of potential people, would would it be just a case of understanding who that group of people are? Or would you really try to hone down on a description of one individual? It depends on what purposes it's for. If you're writing sales copy, it's probably a good idea to have like an image of one person in mind so you know how to word things, right? If that's helpful as a mental exercise, absolutely. But of course, it's never going to be just one person in real world application. It's going to be a subgroup of people who share many types of qualities that are relevant to how they buy and use your product. 
And if you think about it, it's kind of a corollary of understanding the unique functionality of your product and the, and the emotions you're supposed to be representing with your product. The better you understand your product and its place in the marketplace, by corollary, you could then assume, well, if we have this kind of product that is unique in all these ways and does these kinds of things better, we then can easily infer that this kind of person would find it most useful and vice versa. If you see what kind of person finds it most useful, you could then infer, well, what is it about it that they must like so much? Mm -hmm. And I, I know you mentioned about going out and, and speaking to uh, this type of person. And I, I have done episodes on uh, user research that does go into this in, in a little bit more detail. But how have uh, you personally, when you worked on things like this, gone about f spe specifically finding that type of individual to understand what it is about the, the, the product that they find valuable? Well, nothing compares to real-world use statistics, of course. If your business is in such a position where it's been on the market for a while and you have actual data to analyze and actual customers to talk to, that that would be ideal. But if you're not in that position yet or you're making massive changes to your business, then you don't really have much other choice but some kind of controlled assessment, You know, uh, testing it against focus groups or, or beta users or, or whatever is appropriate for what it is you're trying to do, making educated guesses based on that and whatever experience you do have in the field and then extrapolating from there. If you can find that there are people who really, really need a certain kind of functionality in a product and are really attracted to a certain kind of story and emotional values represented, you can probably assume that there are more of those people out there and you only really need to be as successful as you are trying to stretch your business wide. Right, You don't need to sell to every person in the world. You don't even necessarily sell to every person in the country you're in or even the whole state. It may just be a particular type of town that you sell in or a particular type of market. And so if you understand the dynamics of that market, just keep assuming that there are more and more of those people that you already found some success with and extrapolate from there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think it's worth going into the USP. Um, so you mentioned that it's like it's, it's all very well having a story, but you need to consider it within context of uh, who you will be compared within with, within the uh, marketplace. And I know from a visual identity perspective, that's definitely something that you would do because you would want to differentiate in in some way. But from a, a brand perspective, uh, differentiating from them, how do you go about working out what that USP is? That's a difficult question because, of course, there are many variables that depend very specifically on the industry that you're in and, and your type of product and your market you're dealing with. But there are certainly universal uh, principles at play that, that apply to everything you could ever create and put on the market. Often it just comes down to, like, like let's say you're already in a very well-established market because if you were literally the first person to come up with a particular type of product, obviously by default, you'd have to be unique because there'd be no one else doing what you're doing. But at the same time, you'd also probably have a very hard time getting the market to adopt your brand new way of doing things. Even if it is objectively better, people just aren't used to thinking of using products in that way or spending their money that way. So there's this this barrier you'd have to overcome if you were truly the first into a market, but that's not most people's situation. Usually what people are dealing with is a market that already has a demonstrated consistent need from people, and they just really need to do one thing better within that well-developed market, like a, like a 
TV that has higher definition or better sound or or a flatter screen or whatever because people already need TVs. We have many years of experience buying and using TVs and there's no reason to think that will change anytime soon, right? So uh, let's assume that that's the kind of industry you're in. Can you think of that one thing that you could do better that people actually want to be better about the way they're used to using your type of product? Is it something as physical as, as like size or weight or, or you know, some physical way that they interact with the product? Or is it more about uh, the personality behind, like if you're offering a service, for example, it's much more likely that people interact with the personality of your brand much more. They're on the phone with your customer service or, you, or your live representatives in a store or, or people who go out to their house to do some kind of service, right? It may be as simple as the personality represented by your people. Like we're more professional, we're, we're more kind and courteous, we're faster in the way we do our work, we're, we're more thorough in the way we check for termites in your house or, or you know, how many cafes and restaurants do you go to and have become your favorite, not because they serve the best food, but just the personality, this intangible thing represented by the people who work there and the decor of the restaurant appeals to you for some strange reason that that isn't as simple as how how many calories are, are in the food or, or how healthy it is or whatever. All this stuff is what I call personality. So it could be that, right, depending on the kind of thing that you're selling and the primary reason that people use it or interact with it. Can you find that one thing that you could do just a little bit better that people will identify as being better in that way? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I, I totally agree with that. And I, I mean, if a company is going through this process, so they're, they're creating a story for their business and they have the situation where they simply don't have a USP, in order for a story to work, is that something that they have to have? Do they really need to have something different to everybody else in order for a story to be successful? Well, you can find success with almost anything to some degree. I'm just talking about doing what you can to optimize your chances of success, right? Lots of people just kind of accidentally stumble into business success. They're, they're making money and they don't really know why, but it's not broke, so don't try to fix it, right? But all other things being equal, if you can have a detailed, emotional, engaging story that caters to a clearly demonstrated, unique kind of superiority behind your product, if all these things can function together and complement each other, why wouldn't you want to have that just to maximize your chances of success? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I um, I attended a, a training course with Martin Neumeyer last year. Uh, he's got something called Level C. I don't know if you've come across that. Uh, but one of the exercises that we used within the um, project that we did over the space of the two days uh, was to write down perceived expectations of an industry. So our particular one was the the vehicle industry and we was looking at um, garages in particular to disrupt that space and one of the assumptions that we wrote down is that you have to take your car to the garage you know to get an MOT or whatever so we was thinking and and uh, sorry so so what the exercise was is, is you would write that down and then you would do the opposite of that so an, an idea could be Okay, so the garage comes to you. So if you, you know, write down all these perceived expectations, like I don't always trust a garage. Um, you know, you don't know if they're actually doing what they're saying that they're doing. What if 
you had a business that you could trust and it was transparent and you could see everything that they they was doing and I found that to be a really quick simple easy exercise for coming up with potential ideas to have a very distinct unique uh, selling point yeah doing things differently than your competition you know maybe there's a good reason people are doing things that way but also maybe it's kind of a, a fault of the industry uh going against expectations can work for you or against you and it and it could again be something as simple as the personality like i was working with a a tax accountant a long time ago you know what's the personality you think of a tax expert right you're probably thinking of some some bookworm accountant mm-hmm. uh you, you know what i mean right oh, yeah, yeah and so, <laughs> and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that like maybe that's what you want in a guy whose whose focus is on the numbers of your life and and making sure everything is filed exactly the way it's supposed to be so you don't go to jail maybe that's exactly what you want i was helping this guy uh write a book about his tax ex- tax experience and his professional expertise and it, he at first really wanted to avoid putting too much of his personal story and his personality even into the way the book was written. Like he just wanted to get straight down to here's what I'm an expert on and here's what you need to know. And I'm like, well, yeah, you definitely need to have that in there because that's what people are buying the book for. But I suggest you at least put like a strong introductory chapter explaining who you are, how you got into this business, what you like to do in your free time. And as we work on the main content of the book, you know, take some liberties with it. Tell some jokes in there. Make some references to your personal life so people feel like they have a sense of who you are and that you're kind of more fun and engaging and have had a really unconventional life, not really the kind of personality you would typically expect with a tax accountant. Like that will work to your advantage in this context, I strongly believe. And he was pretty hesitant about it at first, but we you know, we tested the book with uh, beta readers, as I strongly believe in testing things against the marketplace before you just assume what's going to be successful. And they agreed that many people, and there are even many reviews on the book on Amazon now, it's called US Taxes for Worldly Americans. You can see many reviews where people will specifically say, yeah, it was very thorough. I learned a lot of information, but also I found this book so enjoyable to read compared to other <laughs> tax books I've read. <laughs> like I've been looking for something that that wouldn't bore me and, and got straight, you know, uh, contained the information I wanted, but also like I just genuinely enjoyed reading what Olivier <laughs> Wagner had to say about this very boring and dense subject. So that really worked out in his favor. And the book has been very successful in the last few years, I think strongly because of that, beyond just the informational content itself, he did the opposite of what he thought he was supposed to do as a tax accountant, just because that's what people are used to. Uh-huh. I, I love that story. I think that's a great example for any business owners that are listening for simple things that can uh, really make a difference uh, for your business. You, I, I don't think many people would immediately think of something like that. And again, it doesn't matter if every person in the world thinks that that's a good approach, even if most people still prefer the the you know conventional personality of what we think of as a tax accountant, he doesn't need to convince every person in the world. He just needs to convince a small subsection of the market who would prefer to work with him. That's all he needs, right? He has a thriving market there. I just want to take a really short break to mention the Logo Designers box set, which is a set of six ebooks that I put together to help you through the logo design process. 
So you can download that for free just by heading to boxset.logageek.uk. Now that is in exchange for your email address to sign you up to my newsletter. So if you do want to be kept up to date with what's happening with the Logo Geek podcast and other things I'm doing around Logo Geek, do head to boxset.logageek.uk to download that and sign up. So that is it. Let's get back to the interview. Within your book, you do have a section on there about creating the identity of a brand. And I think for uh, context, this is more to do with the the actual underlying identity, the personality and so on, rather than the the, the, the visual side of it. Um, so there is a section in there about creating a personality profile. Could you share a little bit more about that as well? Like what that means for a business and how you would potentially use that information to your advantage? Well, your personality is captured in everything visual or verbal about your business. Like you you are a graphic designer. You obviously focus on things like logo design. Mm -hmm. And what is the purpose of a logo? But uh, to be memorable and to capture some kind of personality that people are supposed to be associating with the business, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, it, to me, it, it's very much putting the cart before the horse to come in and say, well, what color should our logo be? Well, how the heck are you supposed to know if you haven't even like asked what are people supposed to be thinking of my business, right? Uh-huh. Are we supposed to have like a strong domineering presence or like kind of, kind of like a meek welcoming presence? Do we want that bold blood red or like the light sky blue? Like all, all of these things are conclusions that you should come to by first asking these basic philosophical personality questions. How is it that we want people to see us and and interact with our intangible personality? So that obviously comes across in, in the visuals, things like logo design and, and color yeah. schemes that you choose. But also, um, again, going back to the medium of books, the way that Olivier chose to write about a boring subject in kind of a fun, friendly, conversational way doesn't change the actual value of the information, the, the, the instructions for how to fill out different tax forms or, or the, the numbers used didn't change, right? But it was more enjoyable to read that information. It made you want to keep turning the pages. You felt like you knew Olivier after you read his book. That's all personality. It has nothing to do with how actually useful the information is for your taxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know you mentioned in the book that once you've kind of set on a personality, that should dictate everything. So you've already said, um, like the personality of writing, the the personality of the visual brand as well. I mean that that all makes sense. And uh, you you do mention that if you go outside of that, you know, there's this disconnect. So defining that personality profile is quite important. Are there any tools or approaches that you could use to to work out what that is? Because uh, I think for a lot of companies, that's quite an abstract thing to think about. Well, this kind of goes back to my earlier comments about being manipulative and deceptive. I never advocate that anybody do anything that's utterly inauthentic. Mm-hmm. And that's easier to understand when you're a small business and and it's like, you know, one people or a small group of people making these kinds of decisions about how the business will be represented. Well, who are we and what do we stand for? You know, if you're talking about a massive corporation, then it it almost has to be artificially constructed by just the sheer necessity of the size and, and, and these very calculated decisions people are making. How do we want our customer base all over the world to perceive us? So, but let's assume that you're a small to medium sized business. 
And you got to start with authenticity. Who actually are you and how you don't have to capture your whole personality can certainly be curated parts of your personality, but it can't be fake, can't be phony because eventually the truth will seek through. And if you start acting out of character, so to speak, people get sort of a sense of betrayal from your brand. Like, well, I, I learned to associate you in one way and now you're acting a different way. Why? Where did that come from? Was that just a calculated move because you thought that would be better? It's really no different than... If you're watching a movie or reading a book and, and a character you're really invested in and that you feel like you've come to know over the, the course of the story suddenly starts acting very different because they changed writers or something, right? And then, now you suddenly you don't feel like you know who this person is. Like Superman shouldn't be mean to puppies. That's the exact opposite of what I expect Superman <laughs> to do. You'd say, that doesn't feel like Superman at all. Who is this imposter here, right? You would, you would, you would sooner assume that it was an imposter and not the real Superman than you would assume. Well, he just changed his personality. It happens. People change. No, no, you you can't accept that because one of his core defying attributes is he's a nice guy who helps people, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So I, I mean, sorry to dig into the whole personality side. It's it's something I'm uh, uh, interested in because of uh, what what I personally do. Um, but okay, saying that companies should have a personality, but is there like a, a list of uh, personalities that that companies could look at, or is it just a case of working it out based on uh, what you know about people and their individual personalities? So like high level stuff, like fun or serious or, or things like that? Or is there more to it that people can learn about? I mean, those, those things are fine. Obviously, there are general adjectives that will apply to whatever you end up being. There are only so many words in the English language to describe human behavior and personality. But it, it starts, well, to, to quote another author, uh, it starts with why, right? Uh, why did you start the company? Why did you design your product the way you did? Why are you doing anything you're doing? Because that's really the core of your personality, at least as it's relevant to your business. And so if part of the reason why you started your business and why you chose to do the things that you're doing is because you want to have fun and want your customers to have fun, then fun should probably be part of your public personality, right? If you did it because you want people to have a sense of security at home, like you sell insurance or, or like deadbolt locks for people's doors or security cameras or something, then that should probably be represented in your personality somehow, right? Because that's really not the same thing as like, well, I want to I put security cameras in my house because I want to have fun at home. No, it's because you want to protect your home, right? You want that sense of security and reliability. That's, that's a different emotional flavor than fun. Not that there's anything wrong with fun. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How I've seen some people do this type of thing is, um, I think I heard that Michael Beirut sometimes asks, if your company was a car, what kind of car would it be? And then that helps uh, provide that clarity for how they picture it. And then, you know, once you know uh, which car they're choosing, then you can dissect that down into uh, words and, and uh, take it in that direction. Sure. I, I gave an example of a car earlier. Like, what is the personality? What are the values associated with, with a car that is made to go off-roading and have lots of cargo space, right? What what kind of person uses that car? How, what are the ways that they use it versus a sports car, right? Or 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 a pickup truck. All of these things are designed, you know, a car in its basest form is just an engine and wheels and 
and a place for a driver and passengers to sit to move them from point A to point B. Every car ever made is that in its purest form. But then there's so much variation put on top of that, right? Endless, endless amounts of variation. Uh, and and that's true of everything. I, I was buying furniture recently for my house. I went to buy just a simple table for for the the room I do most of my work in. And what is a table in its basest form? It's a flat surface to put things on or sit down at, right? Seems like it can't get much simpler than that. But the variety of tables available to me was astounding in, in, in shape and size and materials made of and and the the aesthetic behind them, like like a dining room table versus a study table versus a, a workbench and and do it doesn't need to be a round table. Is it going to go in a corner? Is it going to match the color of the walls of the room we're going to put it in? Do we want it to be made out of of wood or plastic or metal? And are we going to spend just a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars on it? All of them serve the same basic function of a flat surface to put stuff on. So if you can imagine something as simple as that in principle can have so much variety catering to so many different little minute differences in buyer needs, then obviously a car is going to have way more as a fantastically much more complicated piece of machinery. And just about anything you could possibly sell, if you look at it beyond just the basic function that it serves, there's always room for more variation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. And and that's a fantastic example. You know, when you think of something as simple as a flat surface to put stuff on and, and you see the vast variety of, of things that you can buy at, at different prices. And I, I know when I've gone furniture shopping, if you look at a, a, a table that costs £10,000, you can see that it costs that. There's just some aesthetic to it that um, uh, really screams quality and I, I think it's not always just the table it's the whole experience around that when you're choosing it as well you know when you go into certain uh, shops you just know right away that that uh, particular product is going to be uh, particularly expensive <laughs> yeah and that and that was all just in one store that I went to now imagine all <laughs> the stores that sell different kinds of tables oh yeah in all the world <laughs> it's it's mind-boggling yeah and and like I said it's a fantastic example because it's so basic that the possibilities for any other product or industry is is phenomenal. So I, I want to go back to the story. So we, we've spoken for the last 40 minutes about this. And so far, we have lots of individual components that can make a story, but it's not yet a story. So how do you go about forming that into a story and what would that look like is it a, a, a sentence just wrote down in words or is it a book or i mean how how does this look it depends entirely on your uses for it uh, when we talk about things like taglines and slogans and elevator pitches those are all commonly used mediums of expression and they're what they're all expressing is the story in one form or another an elevator pitch will have different applications and possibilities in a one sentence tagline right and a brochure will have different applications than a book written about your industry or or the website content of, of your website, right? All, all of these things, I, I tend to focus mostly on the verbal because I'm, I'm a writer and a talker, but obviously it applies much, just as much to things like the visual element. Uh, the functionality of the website will be part of the story of how they interact with your brand, of course. Um, and 
you really just need to know what it is you're trying to accomplish. We can assume that there will be certain things that apply to almost every business. And in the modern age, almost every business needs a website, right? So you're going to have to have something written on that website. Some websites will have a lot more content than others, but there'll probably have to be something explaining this is who we are. This is what we do. This is why we're unique in some way. And this is why you should care and and choose to give us your money or your contact information. That's a good place to start, I find, for most people. if, If you're just really trying to encapsulate your story, Start with your website content. Why not? You're going to need that anyway. And it's and it's enough where you, you have enough space to experiment with three to five pages of content, for example. You, you don't have to try to cram it all into one paragraph to get that just perfectly worded elevator pitch. That can come later if you need it. Uh, so give yourself the space to explore with, well, you know, this is who we are. This is how we get started. Uh, this is what makes our product unique and interesting. Go on, go on for a few paragraphs and see, you know, later cut out the parts that aren't so essential. And eventually you'll have something that is uh, short enough to read in several minutes, but is uh, complete enough that it actually communicates something of substance. Yeah, yeah. And I guess for a startup, this could be a, a few sentences, but as companies become uh, bigger, the, the the story will grow and, and develop and become its own organic thing. And I'm going to use Apple again as an example to paint how I see this. So um, I've been an Apple user for a long time. I obviously know the origin story, but then there are things like autobiographies, uh, books, you know, you can find out about the, uh, the, the, the founders of the company. And then there's films about, <laughs> about these books and stuff like that. I guess all of that, um, and, and Apple's an extreme example because there are lots of books and lots of films and, and uh, things like that. I guess that all really contributes to what the story is and how that story is communicated with um, the audience. Yeah, but Apple's had you know decades to, to grow all the different forms that their story can take, such as autobiographies of, of guys like Steve Jobs. And that's probably not something most businesses need to be thinking about right away. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But books in general, I I find uh, if you have something important to say and a nonfiction book about your industry, not necessarily like your life story, but like, hey, here's something really valuable I've learned working in this industry, or here's the complete guide to everything you needed to know about how to do your taxes this kind of way, right? Uh, That can absolutely be a great way to both sell a product that is in and of itself valuable because it will have valuable information within the book, but at the same time also get your story out there and build a brand reputation for yourself and make people want to interact with you. Because if they can get through uh, 50,000 words you wrote about a subject and they still want to talk to you, then they probably have a pretty good idea of what kind of person you are and what your personality is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so from this conversation, we've uh, we we understand why we need a story. We've worked out how to create a good story, um, and that's by finding your value, your unique selling point within the context of your business compared to your competitors, um, and also seeing that from the perspective of the customer as well. Um, so you've now created a story, be that just a sentence uh, or a few pages of content, how do you go about telling that story to make your product irresistible to your customer? People have to believe what you say, right? The most important 
quality I, w- I would try to communicate to people, no matter what industry you're in, what your story ends up being, is authenticity, which itself uh, turns into something like conviction. The people believe you're doing what you're doing in your business for a reason, because you believe in it authentically. Uh, so if you can capture that in every written form that represents your brand or, or the visual ways you end up representing your brand, then that's what, in my opinion, will lead most small to medium-sized businesses to the, the greatest amount of market capture because uh, people will have a stronger reason to want to choose and stay with your brand, not just because it was initially appealing to them for some specific reason, but because after using it enough times and interacting with the personality of your brand, they really believe that you are who you say you are and you're doing what you're d- doing because you have reasons for doing what you're doing and they and they agree with those reasons and they believe in them if you can capture that authenticity and we haven't even talked about things like video content i, I, I completely <laughs> neglected that but obviously like that's an even more powerful way in many cases to capture your personality uh if picture is worth a thousand words but a video video is worth a thousand pictures right if you can get yourself or whoever represents your company on camera talking sincerely representing this is who we are and why we're doing it and why you should care. I mean, that's that's worth everything. That is the mm-hmm. best way to f- attract the right kind of people and keep them. Oh, hell yeah. And I think with um, story, just in the space of the, the 45 minutes we've been speaking, I can imagine if people work through just these exercises alone, it would provide a lot of clarity. And I think in terms of telling that story be that through you know a headline on a website or or a a piece of content or uh, an advertisement like a tv advertisement or or banners the 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 possibilities are absolutely endless and the scale of how something as simple as a story can be used is phenomenal really yeah and in the end marketing really just becomes about how do i promote my story more how do i get more people to read my story or engage with my story which is a much nicer way to think about it i think than just trying to get the maximum amount of impressions and conversions and all that stuff yeah yeah absolutely it's it's much more inspiring not just for your uh, target customer i think as a a business owner a founder or a member of the team working for that company it's a hell of a lot more inspiring to be telling this story i mean everyone loves a good origin story and they they like to know where this thing came from and why it exists and and why it matters and and how it actually makes people's lives better that's so much more fulfilling than just a list of features you know having a, a story will impact so many people inside a business as well as outside. Yeah. So if you take nothing else away from this, just try to start looking at your business in a different way and asking some of these kind of personal, sometimes uncomfortable questions. And when you start thinking about your business differently, it will also start to show up differently in how you represent the business. Yeah, absolutely. So within this, we've provided a surface level for people to start thinking about doing this Um, And just with the information from this alone, I think it will help people. But for anyone that wants to dive deeper into this, how can they go about doing that? Like, I know we've already mentioned that one book, but 
do you have any other tools or are there any other resources that you could potentially recommend to us? Well, obviously, I think my book, Brand Identity Breakthrough, is pretty gosh darn amazing. Uh, there are a lot of other books. Though. It's very good. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I mean, just to say that you're not blowing your own trumpet, I, I have to admit, it's a very, very good book. And, um, you know, I, I obviously reached out to you and and you can hear just by talking to you through this, uh, you, you speak very articulately. You've obviously thought a lot about this topic. And um, if you can imagine condensing that down into... A book it's obviously going to be very good so yeah I, I would highly recommend it just to stop you from uh, blowing your own trumpet but do I, I do recommend the book to both business owners and any designer or anyone that's interested in uh, branding brand identity uh, anything like that I, I think it's a great book sure and on that subject you can probably get a pretty clear sense of my personality just by listening to me talk right or by reading what's in the book that would be yeah. another perfect example of uh, it's not just about the information I'm talking about, but my personality will probably be distinct from other people even who talk about the same subject or write about the same subject. Uh, there are a lot of other writers who do, I think, do a pretty good job of uh, writing about this, like uh, Simon Sinek. He he tends to write about a lot of the same things, uh, really you know, getting to the purposes behind your business and and uh, those kind of philosophical insights about why you're doing what you're doing. That's that's really my whole focus. And and I'm also a personal development author, and I, I find it's not really that much different writing about business and writing about personal development. It's just a slightly different focus, but a lot of the same questions that you have to ask in order to to make this kind of progress are, are quite similar. So if if you take lessons away from reading a philosophy book or a personal development book that helps you reframe your life differently, can you extrapolate those same kinds of questions to your business? Can you think of your business as just an extension of yourself? That's the kind of tool that I find really useful for people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I would say, I, I know there's a lot of branding books out there, but of all of them that I read, they're, they're all very different. And um, even though... Uh, there are overlapping themes. There's no set way of doing this stuff. I mean, even try finding a definition of branding. There, there isn't one single definition. So I, I find just in general, uh, reading and learning as much as you can about branding. And um, I, a lot of people that will be listening to this, they might be, they are most likely uh, graphic designers. But in the context of what we're talking about here, it's the underlying brand of the business, the the language, uh, the personality, the USP, all that sort of stuff. And um, I think for graphic designers, understanding that is absolutely fundamental. So you've you've mentioned through this conversation about. Um, you know, as a as a designer, you you um, don't just make up colors. You don't just randomly pick. Oh, I'm going to pick red. You pick, you know, a red because you're trying to communicate some element of uh, personality. Whether that's something that the client has provided, you know, uh, they've given you some kind of personality um, profile for you to try and get across, or you know, that's something that you've uh, worked out by speaking to and un understanding the goals of the uh, client. So understanding all this stuff about business and, and branding uh, will absolutely make you a much better 
uh, logo designer, identity designer, and so on. I agree completely. Yeah. Well, Gregory, this has been absolutely fantastic. We've been able to pack in a lot in this time and uh, it's been really good. So I, I hope the listeners will have enjoyed it. So Gregory, thank you uh, so much for your time. It's been absolutely amazing. Thanks for having me. So hopefully you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And if you want to learn more about the topics discussed in this episode, I do recommend checking out Gregory's book, Brand Identity Breakthrough. And I'll link to that in the show notes, along with his website, social channels, and a transcription of this interview too. So to find the show notes for this episode, head to logageek.uk forward slash 105. And if you want to discuss logo design, branding, or anything in this podcast with me and over 10,000 logo designers from around the world, I recommend joining the Logo Geek community on Facebook. It's totally free to join and it's very active. So if you have any questions or need any support with anything to do with logo design and branding, I believe it's one of the best places to go in the world. So to find that, just head to logogeek.uk forward slash community or do a search on Facebook for the Logo Geek community and hopefully you'll find it that way. So that is it for this week, but I'll see you at the same time next week for another exciting episode of the Logo Geek Podcast. <laughs>